3: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve
0: today. Check one, two. Hello, hello, hello. Check one, two, three. Um, one thing to note, just so that a line in this cold open makes sense, is that when this episode releases, Asteroid City will be coming out the next day in New York and Los Angeles mm-hmm. in the theaters. This is slightly referenced to my cold open. It could be confusing if you weren't aware of that. All right.
4: Sanderson. after life aquatic put you on the run your first three films made you number one bottle rocket rush more Royal 10 and bombs so where are you going with Sanderson you go to India with your three best friends Jason Schwartzman Roman Coppola and Owen Wilson Adrian Brody, now you're having fun Today on this podcast ahead The Darjeeling Limited So he's got a signature style So many people want to put him on trial Where I kinda decided I was over
0: Welcome everybody to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name is Jack Bishop. My name is Justin Nisham. And each week we take a close look at one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today. And in the end, we'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place on the shelf or be tossed away. Like Louis Vuitton luggage? Like the baggage of a dearly departed dad. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, you know I do think that like designer luggage is totally out of fashion now. You don't see it anymore.
5: Mm-hmm. You I the remember airports? the first time I saw those bags in Darjeeling Limited, I was mesmerized. Yeah, oh, yeah. They're awesome. awesome. What is this? But yeah. nowadays,
0: everybody has like an away bag. But or, that yeah. is
6: like the designer bag now. It's like bays. Right. No mm-hmm.
0: But how boring. Well, it's heavy and
5: cumbersome. And- yeah. The, how- the designer bag. Also, too, it's like I don't who travels like that any anymore. Yeah. I literally. With
6: lug, like actual like I, luggage like that.
5: In I style. Can, I can get away with one backpack mm-hmm. and one carry on. That's yeah. it. That's all I need. Yeah.
6: We're going to Italy in October and I've uh, literally all I watched now is TikToks of people packing Mm -hmm. their like in packing cubes. It's like Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, if we're going to Italy though, we gotta get some designer bags. Yeah.
6: Sure, if if you want to buy some designer bags, let me know how you're getting that mood. I
0: will hand paint our away bags to look like That's cool. Louis Vuitton, Wes Anderson bag. What colors your way bag? The one I use is pink because it's smaller. I know that was mine. Mm. Corey needs more room. it first. Get Mm -hmm. some primer.
5: Prime it, and then paint. paint. Hey, I'm into that because a lot of times I'm like, "Is
0: that my bag?" Because Mm -hmm. everybody has the same fucking bag
5: now. I'll be very impressed if you manage to make it look like
0: those. yeah, Part of the reason it won't look like it is because the away bags have that sort of stupid texture design. Mm-hmm. You know, like it looks hey, like. Hey, what if we
6: get a way bag to be a sponsor on this podcast? I could probably
0: make it look like the Telepods from The Fly. <laughs> away is so 2017.
6: <laughs> it's all about Bays now, actually. What, are, what is Bays? B I S. It's Shay Mitchell's company. Would love to have them Who's as a sponsor. That? Shea Who's that? Shay Mitchell? Yeah. Um, Shay Wig, you mean Shay
5: Wake? Yeah, I know yeah, Shay Wigg. Shea- yeah, he's got. some are
6: losers. <laughs> um, well, she's. We actually talked about the show on the Patreon. She's from Pretty Little Liars.
5: Mm. Mm. I get advertised. I get influenced for monogram. Mm. You ever seen monogram no. bags advertised? Well, I know
0: the word. Mm. I don't know the bags. You yeah, know the they word. look. They look like a way bag. But yeah. And I love
6: our away bags. The little four spin. Well, look, wheels. the beauty of a way
0: bag is that you just, you know, you can carry it on. Mm-hmm. That's the thing I like the most yeah, about it. I love that no, no one else has it. You're the only one, mm-hmm. one of a kind. Yeah. There's definitely, it's not the Prius of mm-hmm. luggage. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> fucking has one.
5: Uh-huh.
0: Also, before I forget, joining us today is oh the third God. brother of the trio, Corey Clifford. Which brother?
6: Oh, great. She's Schwartzman. Well, Schwartzman was my. Which I was going to talk about later, but mm-hmm. I'll say now was my number one celebrity crush for many years. Mm-hmm. Jack got me um, his albums, Token Coconut Records. Records. I loved. I had posters of him in my dorm room. I had posters mm-hmm. of Jason she's, Schwartzman. She's Bill
5: Murray. Doesn't <laughs> yeah, just silent in the corner, mm-hmm. chiming in, desperately
6: trying <laughs> yeah. to catch the train. And you guys are just. Justin is
7: Brendan. Mm, <laughs> yeah, why is your head so bald? Okay. <laughs>
4: Have yeah. Oh, yeah,
5: right. That's like that albino disease. <laughs> Not really. That's the funniest <laughs> line in the movie. Was I just mean to bring yeah. <laughs> I think he might even be my friend. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it, too, because it's a character thing. Like, he's not mad at Brendan. Yeah. He is just an asshole. Yeah. A lot of this movie is about these characters realizing that they kind of suck. <laughs> uh, Justin, what movie are we talking about today? We're talking about a little old
5: flick that came out in 2007, written and directed by Wes Anderson, called
3: The Darjeeling Limited. I want us to become brothers again like we used to be. You're the two most important people in the world to me. This is incredible. Why haven't we spoken in a year? Because we don't trust each other. Is that my belt? Can I borrow it? I want us to be completely open and say yes to everything, even if it's shocking and painful. Do you have any questions? I do. Okay, go ahead. What happened to your face?
7: This time
3: tomorrow What's going on? I don't know. I guess the train's lost. What'd he say? He says the train's lost. How can a train be lost? It's on rails. What's wrong with you? Let me think about that.
2: Where you go, when i go.
3: What are you doing in this place? Well, originally, I guess we came here on a spiritual journey.
4: <laughs> you don't love me! Yes, I do! I love you too, but I'm gonna mace you in the oh. face!
3: But that didn't really pan out. Stop! I wonder if the three of us could have been friends in real life. Not as brothers, but as people. But
7: we are not
4: Uh, Justin, how'd you watch the film? I watched it on a rental
5: DVD copy from Videotech, two-disc, Criterion. So you don't own this movie? I did at one point. It was like, I think, a Focus Features DVD, Bare Uh, Bones. Fox Searchlight. Fox Searchlight. Fox Searchlight. uh, Probably right when the movie came out. Yeah, I had that version too. And uh, I either sold it or sold it. To upgrade and then just never got around. Because there to it, is a
0: good yeah. upgrade. What what you have here is the Criterion version, right? Yeah. That's what you rented. That's which, also what I have. Which I think is every Wes Anderson movie on Criterion now? Um, it, could it be all of them? I mean, yeah, because he was kind of there Lunarized from the beginning. Kingdom? Definitely, Mm -hmm. definitely on Criterion. I mean, unless maybe like his newest one, like maybe Isle of Dogs isn't, Mm -hmm. but I think it is, honestly. I don't know. Yeah, I would think all of them are on Criterion. Rushmore was probably one of my first Criterions I ever owned Mm because they retroactively went back and put Bottle Rocket on there. Mm -hmm. Oh, my favorite. Yeah, I have the Criterion too. And I did the same thing as you. I had the original release from Fox Searchlight. Then when Criterion released theirs, I think in 2010, I bought that. But unfortunately at that time, I was- That was in 2010? 2010, and I was still rocking DVD back then. That's so this shocking. is a Criterion DVD I even think, though it looks like a Blu-ray. Yeah, I
5: remember getting that DVD and then being bummed like how quickly that one came out and I was like gosh yeah. darn it. And you should have <laughs> known
0: because all of the like yeah. Life Aquatic had come out on Criterion. Roll you should have known you idiot. Yeah, yeah. big idiots. I know, uh, but, and I will say it is I, not to give it away what I'm going to do with this but while this is a great set, it has great special features the transfer of the movie I thought looked very DVD to me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that clear. Yeah, is the, your su- DVD or is your Blu-ray? Yeah, super okay, bit. Yeah. It's got a super bit,
5: bit vibe to it. It didn't really bother me, but I, it clearly wasn't Blu-ray. I do remember having a moment where I was so immersed in the film mm-hmm. that I didn't notice the quality for a while and then I when I snapped out of it I was like, <laughs> yeah. "Oh, this looks like shit. <laughs> what am I doing?" <laughs> yeah. It's pulling me. But out. it was like it was a good moment of like
0: quality tsh- Shouldn't really matter at oh, the end of the day if the movie's if good. If the but, movie's good, yeah. But um, We watch DVDs all the time, and yeah, you just kind of get past it. Mm-hmm. I think part of the reason was is that this case of the Criterion is like a, one of their clear cases, and for whatever reason, that's what I associate with their Blu-rays. And so I just, my body thought this was a Blu-ray until mm-hmm. I saw the image on mm-hmm. screen, and I went, oh, this is a DVD I forgot. I
6: don't notice at
0: all. Mm, that's yeah. beautiful. Ignorance is bliss sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I guess must be so. nice to be uh, a... <laughs> Ignorant. ignorant.
5: Just like Neo at the end of The Matrix, I see in bits, yeah. resolution and aspect ratio. That's all I see. I know. Um,
6: sometimes Jack will be like, I have to fix it. I'm like, it mm-hmm. looks fine. Let's just watch the beautiful story. No so
0: what is your like? what was your relationship to this movie? I have a confession. Mm-hmm. It's embarrassing. Okay.
5: I'm getting real vulnerable on the pod right oh, now. No. Give it to us. This was the first Wes Anderson <gasps> movie I've ever seen.
0: Oh, this was the first one. You hadn't oh, seen uh, any of his uh, previous uh, movies. Well, that's, that's not true. Bad. This movie came out in 2007. Mm-hmm. You had just
6: I you were graduated. About to say, this is the first time you'd ever watched the
0: movie. I,
5: I've seen this movie more than. Any other Wes Anderson
0: movie, mm-hmm. for sure. And at that point, you were probably a year out of high school. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that's
6: unforgivable. I think unforgivable. This, there's a good chance. Well, we had, you had shown no, me yeah, Bottle Rocket yeah, you had Rock seen, it you had
5: seen this, this stuff, yeah. blew me away oh. when I... I still remember watching it. Did you uh, see it in theaters this, or did you rent it? It was a Netflix rental, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Netflix DVD. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact I saw the Hotel Chevalier. Mm-hmm at the same time I can't remember if that came on the DVD or if yeah, I I think it did. got
0: it online somehow When something. the movie came out in theaters I remember there was an iTunes premiere and this was early that's what iTunes I saw it on. That's, that's probably what I saw yeah, it on. yeah early iTunes days mm-hmm. people weren't really using it other than music That's probably how I found out about the movie Maybe yeah. yeah I remember it was like promoted, like, go watch the short film on mm-hmm. iTunes. And I remember doing that. I think you and me watched it uh-huh. like on a laptop or a computer. And then when the movie did finally come out, the short was included in yeah. front of the feature as well, like theatrically.
5: Yeah, I was able to, on this, I was able to play mm-hmm. both together. So the movie started with yep. That's what ho- we did. the yeah, short.
0: I've only ever done that. I've yeah. never watched the movie just without the short. I've mm-hmm. always watched it Hotel Chevalier mm-hmm. first and then the movie which I think is probably what he intends mm-hmm. for that
5: I remember that sh- I still remember the short blowing me away oh my mm-hmm. god is it's this? so
6: yeah. sexy yeah. and like oh I love it I love it
0: so much when this movie came out I was a huge Wes Anderson mm-hmm. fan. And I thought his movies were only getting better. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, The Life Aquatic was like my favorite movie of all time. And so when this came out, I was so excited for it. We had watched all of his movies together. Corey and I think and I. at that
6: point, I was like claiming Bottle Rocket as like my favorite mm-hmm. movie.
0: Although I will say that you maybe to this day have still never made it through The Life Aquatic. That's true. Without falling asleep. It's long. It's,
6: <laughs> I do not know why. Maybe it's because we watch it later at night or something, but it gets almost to the same part every time, and I'm gone. Yeah, she
0: just goes right to bed. <laughs> <laughs> is it yeah. soothing? It's because it's so soothing. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know what it is. But um, so, yeah, when this came out, did you and I see, I don't. I think I went and saw this with my friend Matt.
6: Yeah, but you always go and see movies by yourself, or yeah. and then we go see it. Yeah.
5: And so as somebody who was already a huge Wes Anderson fan... Mm-hmm. This is this seems to be a movie that divides a lot of fans. Mm-hmm. Did you come uh, out of it being like, this is better than Life Aquatic?
0: Yeah, this, I was like, yeah. he's just getting fucking better. Everything yeah. he's doing is better. And for What the, is the divide? Well, I think actually the divide started with the Life Aquatic. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't like the Life Aquatic. I think still to this day, that movie is still considered like one of his worst. It's maybe getting some, a little bit of reappraisal. And so when Darjeeling Limited came out, it didn't really do very well. It was kind of like a, a flop. And a lot of people, I think a lot of people think it's boring. And That's so I remember talking to
6: me also because it's a perfect length. It's an hour and oh, a half. Yeah. All, through, <laughs> all yeah.
0: through film school. I remember people being like, I love Wes Anderson. I don't like Darjeeling limited mm-hmm. though. And me being like, it's my favorite of his movies. Yeah.
5: I remember that making me feel stupid. Like I didn't really get something. It, was it like made Royal me, me feel Bons. smarter. It was clear to me. Like everybody loves Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. And it was like, this is a good movie, yeah. but Darjeeling limited was Ugh. like more
0: interesting to me.
6: Just I listening to the trailer right then. Like we just watched the movie and, yeah. Listening to the trailer makes me want to watch the movie. Again. And I
0: still think that this movie hasn't had a proper reappraisal mm-hmm. from the film community from Wes Anderson fans. So we're going to do Maybe today. Maybe we can do that today. Maybe yeah. we can do it today cuz yeah, I think his movies are great. I do have a few like I said in the song I had a, a few years where I did kind of fall off of Wes Anderson, and mm-hmm. it was post Fantastic Mr. Fox. It was going into Moonrise Kingdom, which, oddly enough, is like most people's favorite of his movies now. <sighs> mm-hmm. It's the movie of his, I think, that made the Struggle most money. Um, and yeah, you, I think nine out of 10 Wes Anderson fans consider Moonrise Kingdom to be his best, his masterpiece. No way. Um, and it's the one of his films, outside of the stop motion ones that I'm kind of detached from already anyways. But in terms of his live action movies, I really, it's not that I don't like Moonrise Kingdom, I just don't connect to it. Mm-hmm. I've watched it multiple times and every single time I have the same experience of just sort of feeling like this is the closest of his movies that comes to to uh, hitting that threshold where I'm annoyed by the style is in Moonrise Kingdom. It's very cute.
6: Moonrise Kingdom yes. is all about being cute.
0: It's kind of the most parody Version of his movies to me, and just for whatever reason, the story, the characters, the way it's told, I just kind of feel detachment from it when I watch it. That I don't feel with a lot of his other movies. I also
5: just don't care about kid problems.
0: Yeah,
6: I think that is the. I mean, because I like Moonrise Kingdom, I think it's very cute. Mm -hmm. But I do agree that, like, when we were watching Darjeeling Limited, it's enjoyable. It almost was like a reminder to me, or shocking. I was like, "This is crazy! Like, this is dealing with." Like, sometimes I think you could just think of Wes Anderson as cute. Yeah. Like, if you are only looking at it through the Moonrise Kingdom or the stop motion or all of that stuff. But, like, it's Darjeeling Limited is dealing with, like, grief in such, like, Mm -hmm. a beautiful way and adult relationships. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, yeah. Like, that is...
5: Wealthy. What he can do. Wealthy, out of touch, brother sucking back cough syrup. <laughs> oh my god. In a
6: foreign land. The the use of drugs in Let's this movie, yeah. I'm obsessed with.
0: <laughs> Which is not uncommon for a lot of his movies. His movies often do deal with wealthy families who are dysfunctional, who are self-centered, narcissistic people. But I think one of the things that sets this movie apart, and is probably one of the reasons why I like it so much, is that you know, a lot of his movies. Are ensemble pieces, and the stories are focusing on big groups of people. There's usually one sort of centerpiece character, like Steve Zizu in The Life Aquatic, or Royal Tenenbaum, Ray Fiennes in The Grand Budapest Hotel. But the movies themselves are sort of like jumping around between all the other characters that surround that person. This movie is really a three piece. It's very uh, intimate, just with these three brothers, mm-hmm. and it never really leaves them. And, and their, they, their chemistry is, their so chemistry good. is. Mm-hmm.
6: Fire.
0: And they're not even ever really without each other. Like, I think every scene is the three of them, and occasionally- Or the two of them talking about the thing. Occasionally, brother. one of them will walk <laughs> away, and two of them will talk about that person. But that person is usually only away from the scene for about 30 seconds, and then they come right back in. So there's like an intimacy to this movie that isn't there in a lot of his other movies because they're bigger, and they're sort of more expansive, which I love. You know, I love Royal Tenenbaums. I love Grand Budapest Hotel. I just have trouble, like, with the, in the post,
5: for me, it started after- Darjeeling Limited with Mr. Fox. And mm-hmm. from there it was kind of downhill for me with a few surprises along the way. But yeah. even things like Grand Budapest and French Dispatch, like I just I miss things like Darjeeling Limited, where it feels like the last of his human portraits mm. and starts to go more into spatial diorama smoke mm-hmm. And I just don't. I I, I agree. I've told you this before. I appreciate what he's doing. He's found his thing. Yep. He likes it. He wants to do this. It's not for me anymore, mm. and and I'm worried. Asteroid City is going to be just another. Will French- you
6: continue to see? Yes, them? Yeah. of course.
5: But
0: uh, in hopes that
5: yeah. you
6: know,
0: he's gonna make me feel something again.
6: Asteroid yeah, City, you know? I'm excited
0: for. Me it. too. Honestly, I've come back around. You know, the, I was totally in that place where I was like, I wish he would just go back to what he was doing. But now I've come full circle, and I'm like into the evolution of it because part of it is that why not? You know, like you wouldn't expect a painter to totally vary up their style. You expect them to continue their style and evolve and that's kind
5: of painter Soderbergh you know what I mean?
0: Well, yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. True. But to, to me, it's like he's just doing what, what, a, what a lot of artists do, which is like, this is what I do, and I'm just going to keep taking it further. And I do think that his movies expand into He's taking that style and he's expanding it. He's always sort of exploring a new territory in terms of environment, in terms of types of characters, and in terms of genre. Like uh, Asteroid City appears to be almost kind of like a Close Encounters of the Third Kind-esque alien movie. He's never done that before. And so I'm really interested to see what he, where he takes his style into mm-hmm. a story like that. Yeah, Ugh. it's
5: just, I, I feel like even in an animation film, mm-hmm. I get character, I, I'm able to connect with the characters. It, it's not just that like what he's doing is comic booky or cartoony and therefore I can't connect with it. Yeah. It's just his flavor of that mm-hmm. is very difficult for me to connect with the characters because they just don't seem real to me. Sure, mm-hmm. and yeah. at least not in the way that they do in Darjeeling and even Royal Tenenbaums yeah. and stuff like that. But. And I think
0: that's another reason why Darjeeling uh, clicks so well is because these three actors are so in tune, not only just with like, Wes Anderson's style, but just with the characters. And they they embody them in a way that doesn't feel like Wes Anderson is puppeteering them or controlling them. Like sometimes, especially his newer films, they really do feel like he's telling them exactly how to like enunciate and say the, well, the we rhythm of it. Well,
6: um, we went to a talk back of French dispatch when that movie was coming out with a bunch of the cast mm-hmm. and Adrian Brody was there. And it was really interesting. People were like, what is your experience working with Wes? And he was like, well, the thing about it that actually makes it really freeing is that like you have to go into his movies like you better know your lines inside and out like nothing else. And he was like, and because of that and because of the style that he does, that it's like you have to hit your mark, you have to hit like these things. He was like, it actually makes it really freeing as an actor because then I know exactly like the parameters. So then I can play with my performance in so many other different ways. Cause mm-hmm. I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing with the line and the blocking. Yeah. And then he also talked about, and I was like, oh, this would be such a dream to work on a Wes Anderson movie. That he like creates this very like family set that when um him and Henry Henry Winkler mm-hmm. were talking about how when they were shooting French dispatch, like there's not trailers. Like, I mean, I'm sure Legally SAG and stuff. They have to have trailers. But everybody like sits on set pretty much the whole time. And everybody has dinner together every night. (sighs) What a dream. True dreams. I love it.
0: Yeah, this movie was kind of in the an Anderson slump period. He had made his name with Bottle Rocket and Rushmore, and then he had a huge success with the Royal Tenenbaums. And so when he went to make The Life Aquatic, he was able to get the biggest budget he ever had, which was over $50 million. Jesus. And um, the movie tanked. Like, wasn't critically reviewed well. I don't think made half of its budget back. And so going into the Darjeeling Limited People were one skeptical that like he had lost his touch, and two were not willing to give him money anymore. Mm. And it's notable that he had made uh, all of his movies before this through Touchstone, which is a Disney company. Mm-hmm. And after Life Aquatic, he left Touchstone and made this movie with Fox Searchlight, which was known as totally an indie production company, low, low budget stuff. And so, in a way, he was having to sort of come to terms with the fact that like he was an art house filmmaker, mm-hmm. he's not a mainstream filmmaker, and that he's got a He's got to kind of backtrack a little bit.
5: He's M. Night after The Happening.
0: Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. And this movie was made for, I think, $17 million, which is you know, 30-something million less. Just than... give me, just give me one 17th <laughs> of yeah. that. But having come off of a $50 million movie, that's a huge jump back. And even the Royal Tenenbaums was made for like 25. So almost $10 million less than even Royal Tenenbaums. But it, it forced him to go back to, I
7: back,
6: know. to basic. back to basics. I so much bit. like all-in-one-room mm-hmm. scenes. And this no. movie's a
0: little more rough around the edges than all of his other movies. Like, there's still that style. This is what I'm saying. I get that
5: everybody, every man director wants to do their, big magnum opus 50 million (laughs) dollar extravaganza shit show yeah and good for you but if we we the audience we benefit when when the producer i don't like producers (laughs) i'm pro strike let's go (laughs) but when they when they tighten that grip you know and and control the budget it forces them to, Mm -hmm. to
0: to pare down back to their roots and they make better work. There's room for both because I love the Life Aquatic too. I totally disagreed with the consensus on that movie and yeah. I still do. No, I don't have a problem with Life Aquatic. I love the fact that he spent $50 million making literally the most Wes Anderson thing he could ever do. And at that point in time, that was his first experiment with stop motion animation. He was building all of these sets, doing all this dollhouse stuff that then he couldn't do on this. But what's interesting about it is it kind of created a new challenge for the Darjeeling Limited because he could have built all this train stuff on sets and done the dollhouse thing on a train where they're all done in a studio in a big warehouse, instead decided to dress a real train as this and shoot it all practically on a train that was moving on rails. The entire time, they're having to deal with the real world of like they're actually on a moving train and they actually kind of got to squeeze around these walls. And when they're out in the markets of India, they're dealing with real people in the real markets of these places. And so there is this fun mix of that uber aesthetic with this sort of spontaneity of and that's having best. to deal with the real world. And that's
5: the best. Mm-hmm. Show me the real world. But what is your lens yeah. on this, you know?
0: And uh, yeah, I think unlike a hey. lot of his movies, mm-hmm. which it- are so designed. Designed, yeah. This one does really feel the most authentic yeah. because he's he is putting his view on a real space. But still
5: has a very signature color palette yeah. and you know, wardrobe yeah. and mm-hmm. art design it's, it's beautiful.
0: Robert Yeoman was the cinematographer. He's he done all of Wes Anderson's movies. Did you watch the commentary? No. It's a good commentary. It's between him and Roman Coppola and Jason Schwartzman. They all wrote the movie together. And then they said that they made the decision before they ever started shooting that on this movie, they're going to take what they're given. So if they ask for a car and a truck shows up on set, then a truck is going to be in the movie. You know, If it's raining out that day, they're not going to push the schedule and do it on another day. The scene that's just going to be raining outside. Mm-hmm. They were like, we're going to let life happen in front of this movie. It's interesting that the themes of this movie are sort of about like, you can try your best to control life, but life is going to kind of do its thing to you. It's interesting that that's what his experience making the film was, is just sort of like, let go, let the universe decide. This movie has gotten some backlash of recent years for, um, you know, people will have their takes on this movie that like it's cultural appropriation, that it's sort of like overly westernizing This Indian culture. You know, I can understand if you are uncomfortable by the fact that this filmmaker that does have like a highly stylized aesthetic is using another culture for it. So be it. To me personally, I feel like that's a little bit of a bad faith take on the movie because when I watch this movie, I see nothing but appreciation for this culture coming from Wes Anderson. And it's about characters. Who are doing the cliched thing of like yeah. going to yeah. another country and finding a spiritual journey? I think this movie is very aware of the cliches and aware of the trope. I mean, these characters are blatantly written to be buffoon. idiot
5: nobody's saying that about eat pray love are exactly. exactly to me that's but, a much more offensive yeah. version yeah. of it and yeah. people do this people exactly, like yeah. you, can you be a wealthy white person and go on vacation mm-hmm. to india and hope that you know something changes exactly, exactly. you can and people do and yeah. he's telling a story about it i don't i'm very sensitive to all that stuff too but i'm not seeing really seeing evidence of yeah, that. yeah i
0: point. don't either and i think part and i was of
5: it looking too- for it i was like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, if there's something here that I feel is problematic, I wanna, you know, talk about it. Part of
0: it is that it doesn't fall into a lot of the. The problematic tropes of those kinds of movies, like this, doesn't mysticize the people of India. Mm-hmm. There's not like the white savior trope. They aren't coming in and making the Indian people's lives better. Right. They're actually They're making actively making it worse. Making worse. It worse. Yeah. And, you know, even in the sequence where they technically save some children, one of them does die. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, you have to live in the grief of that, too. And so it's not doing the beginning the... of that scene always makes me laugh because I'm just like, look at these, look at look at these yes. assholes.
7: Oh, assholes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's not
0: doing the sort it of offensive. So, out of nowhere, it's just out of character <laughs> Feels
5: out of it. Feels
0: like improv to me, but it's so, so funny.
7: funny. And uh.
0: the the I, you could maybe argue that it doesn't have a significant. Indian character, but I would argue that there's not a significant character outside of these three men. Like Even their mom, Angelica Houston, only has about (sighs) two or three minutes of screen time in the movie. They're they're on that sort of picaresque journey where they're just meeting different people, Mm -hmm. and they come in and out of these people's lives. And I think the Indian characters that they do come in contact with, though brief do have like interiority and their own, like it's very clear that Rita, the stewardess and the chief steward that she's in a relationship with have a real story behind their characters and they're going through shit too. We don't spend 30 minutes with them. We never are really with them alone, but you get enough of the sense to be like, these are real people who are on their own journeys too.
6: And I think that you see so much of the beauty of India in this movie too and the culture and like, we'll we'll get there in the movie but like the the way in which these three like Americans are running away from their grief mm-hmm. and then we see this really intense scene of death and grief and how this community and father deal with it i was like oh it's so so beautiful yeah i've been talking about this in therapy recently about how we live in a death phobic society mm-hmm. and It feels like that's a very American thing is death phobia because it's like what we see in the Indian culture that we get to see in this movie—the way that they deal with the death of a child is like Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's all this really
0: beautiful ritual juxtaposed with
5: with the flashbacks of the death of their father, the Mm -hmm. funeral of their father, which is so cold, stiffness. Yes,
0: exactly. And so I think the movie is respectful of the culture and to the people the way you would want a movie to be. You know, unless you're just against the idea of an American filmmaker coming in and doing anything about Americans within a culture, another culture, I'm just not that way. You know, I think you, you can explore other cultures. Maybe,
5: in, maybe across Wes Anderson's work, he maybe could do a little bit more work for inclusion and diversity mm-hmm, in his cast. For sure. And that's, a, yeah, that's a fair argument mm-hmm. for him. I mean, I do view Angelica, uh, not the filmmaker, but I mm-hmm. view Angelica... Houston's character and what she's doing in India to be a little bit problematic for sure Sure. but I think that
0: but in the same way that these brothers are problematic like they come from a problematic family exactly
5: Exactly. it's fitting for her it feels like it works for her so Mm -hmm. spot on like that's not a reflection of Wes Anderson exactly
0: he makes movies kind of about anti-heroes like Mm -hmm. all of his movies are about really flawed sort of frustrating people right and that's what we all love about him well let's take a quick break when we come back we'll continue talking about the Darjeeling
2: Job. Ryan Reynolds here for Mint Mobile.
7: hey
0: everybody welcome back to cinema possessed we're talking the darjeeling limited Let's talk just for a minute about Hotel Chevalier, since that is, uh, we all watched it before the film. You talk
3: like Marlena Dietrich And you dance like Zizi jean Was this Wes Anderson's first
6: sex scene?
0: Mm, that's a great question. I definitely think it was his first time experimenting with nudity. Mm-hmm. He has since explored it even more, and now I think he's kind of like into it because French dispatch had quite a bit of nudity. Um but yeah, this may have been his first on-screen. I mean, it's hard to say there's a sex scene. They don't they kind of start. Okay,
6: well, she gets completely naked. Both
0: of them are hot as hell in this. Yes. Uh, Natalie Portman is really hot in this and so is Jason Schwartzman. Yes. Natalie Portman's haircut was this like V for Vendetta. I was going to say was this V for Vendetta time? Must be. Must have been. It looks good. Looks good on her, and I also noticed that uh, Angelica Houston has kind of a similar haircut as well. So maybe
6: oh, that's funny. I bet that that was maybe Jack. Maybe the
0: character of Jack, Jason Schwartzman's character, has a type. Maybe Mm -hmm. he's a little bit more mama. She does. She calls him Little Jack too. Not. Uh, Angelica Houston. When they finally see her, she says, "Little Jack." He is the baby of the group. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, not really worth going into the details of this short. Mm-hmm. It's twelve minutes. It's mostly just like a little fling with an ex girlfriend.
5: I do think it's nice setup for the rest of the film when I you do don't see, see Natalie Portman at all. Mm-hmm. And well, you do see
0: her in the uh, briefly oh, yeah. in, a, sure. in, a, in a moment. Which I wonder what that would feel like if you watched the movie not watching the short. Mm -hmm, You'd be like, Natalie, what is Natalie Portman doing here? Yeah. I mean, the movie makes reference to her character, so you wouldn't be able to connect the dots. It is called
5: part one of the Darjeeling Limited. True. So to me, it feels like canon. It's meant to be seen mm-hmm. before the movie. He
0: wrote the short film first as its own standalone thing before they ever started writing the Darjeeling Limited. They shot it a year before they made the Darjeeling Limited, so this wasn't attached to the production. Uh, Wes Anderson said that he had such a fun time shooting it that he was like, I want to make a short film before every feature because it's just a fun way to kind of warm up into it. And then in the commentary, he said, I would love to make a full movie made out of short films, mm-hmm. which he then later does with The French Dispatch. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting.
5: The bruises on her body were very unsettling to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. it uh, you know where they're from, but it kind of adds mm-hmm. an element mm-hmm. of like you're in his shoes, and yeah. it's like that iPod was a blast from the oh past. Oh my yeah. gosh, I everybody know. had that setup with the speaker mm-hmm. that you plug the iPod into it
0: multiple times throughout the Darjeeling Limited. Jack puts on the iPod. He plays music from it. It made me feel like maybe the music, because you end up kind of learning that this short film is also a short story that his character has written in the film. You get another one later on as well. So it kind of made me think, I wonder if like aesthetically, like, you know, the kink songs and all the sort of needle drops in the movie are sort of meant to be like from his, mm, what that character would put on. And if you could also sort of see the whole movie as like a story that Jack wrote about his family, if, mm-hmm. if Hotel Chevalier is. Um, but yeah, good short, like it. So then the movie starts. Opening scene of the Darjeeling Limited is, starts with Bill Murray, mm-hmm. who is in all of Wes Anderson's movies except for Bottle Rocket. He's in India. He's rushing to catch a train. He's trying to catch the Darjeeling Limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, the music in the sequence is very energetic. It's this Indian music that's from a Satajit Ray film. He did the, the Apu trilogy, like, uh, Pather Panjali and stuff like that. There's no score to this movie. It's all needle drops and it's either sort of like British rock stuff or uh, music pulled from Indian movies, particularly Satajit Ray movies that uh, Wes Anderson was very inspired by. And I'll say, you know, in in the conversation about culture appropriation. This is how I discovered Satajit Ray. Mm. And I, the only reason why I ever investigated his films was because I liked this movie so much. I remember in, at Columbia going to the Columbia Library and sitting and watching the entire Apu trilogy one day. Wow. I would have never even uh, discovered those if it wasn't for this movie. So that's a value in an American filmmaker mm. coming and introducing his American audience to culture. Yeah, you know? there was a library like a screening room. Oh, you missed out. So Dang. no, it wasn't. There wasn't. I remember a, s- a screen.
5: Uh, there was like script library.
0: Yes, that was in one building. Mm-hmm. And then there was another building that had videos, but there wasn't like a screening room. You would just go to these little um, booths that had a television and either VCR or DVD. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you could take the movies out. You had to watch them in the library. Mm-hmm. So anybody who's at Columbia, I assume it's still there. If you're listening, go check it out. If you didn't know it exists, they have the, they have everything. Wow. Bill Murray's only in this movie for about two minutes. Mm-hmm. But yet they said in the commentary that he traveled to India twice. Once to shoot this sequence wow. and then once to shoot the, the like kind of dream sequence that happens at the end of the movie. That's like a- 30-hour flight. Yeah, for, for
6: two yeah, minutes of screen time. Fly, he's mm-hmm. flying private or mm-hmm. first class and just enjoying his life.
5: Yeah. So there's, a, there's this slow motion sequence now, right?
0: Yeah, and, so and, as he's running towards the train, he's about to miss it, and all of a sudden, Adrian Brody's character Peter appears and is running beside him and beats him to the mm-hmm. train, and it goes into slow motion. There's this long tracking shot as he's running towards it, and the Kinks song, uh, This Time Tomorrow, comes in.
4: It's time tomorrow Where will we be? On a spaceship somewhere Sailing across an
5: How do y'all feel about Wes Anderson's slow motion stuff? You still love it? You like it? You feel like it's overdone? Does it does it ever feel inorganic when it kind of comes kicks in for you?
6: I love it. I it love it. It hits me in perfectly. this movie.
0: I, you know, I do feel like some of his later movies, it some it maybe kind of hits me in a bad way, mm-hmm. but I can't say I can complain about anything that he does from this movie backwards. You know I feel I like mean?
6: Wes Anderson aesthetically. I kind of said this at the beginning. But, like, it is what I wish I could make my whole life look like. Mm -hmm. It's the colors that he uses. I mean, you can kind of see. I know. But I... Okay. And AI.
0: AI loves Wes Anderson. That's true. Mm
6: -hmm. (laughs) But I feel like you're diminishing. But, like, saying things like that... I'm not trying to... You, too. I mean, look at our entire house. It's very, like, Wes Anderson-inspired. The colors and everything. Like, it's popular for a reason. Because it's like, oh, it makes you feel good.
0: And it truly comes from him. Like, there really... You know, you can see a lot of his influences in various different filmmakers and periods, but like he really has carved out his own style that is completely him. And that's why things like
6: AI can copy it so easily, is because he's made it so specific.
0: And that's why I think people have turned on him, is because. A lot of people appropriated that, you know, a lot of which I think is like why you're going to turn on the person who created it. Yeah, like, that, that's part of the reason why I've come back around to him because I'm like, yeah, hmm, even fault though you just guy. tried
6: to make me feel small, I
0: wasn't trying to make you feel small. Mm-hmm. You know, I like uh, these slow motion tracking shots in this movie, I think are particularly neat because all the slow motion tracking shots in this film are to a kink song. There's three kink songs in the movie. Each time they appear, they appear over a slow motion tracking shot. It's always a character running towards something. You know, like in this one, he's running towards the train. In the uh, middle one, it's during the funeral, they're walking towards the tuk-tuk. And then at the end, they're also running back towards the train. And all three of those moments are in significant periods of the movie. So this Mm -hmm. one's sort of like introducing you to who these characters are. The middle one is at arguably the emotional turning point of the movie, that that middle kink song. And then the final one is like, You know the the conclusion of their story.
5: When I think about slow motion in general, Mm -hmm. I think it's not under uh, it's not overused. I love it. I want to see it more. It really is a shortcut to making me emotional. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of his work. There's some pretty emotional. You know, one of the most memorable ones is Margot coming out of the bus and the
0: the Nico song. Yeah, iconic.
5: But I think some of the stuff in the Darjeeling Limited. It's it's uh, it's the combination of the abrupt slow motion with the beginning of a needle drop yeah. that always kind of took me a second to get into, and then once... I acclimated to it. I was on board.
0: Now, do you think that's m- you now? Like, do you now, think that when you first saw this film, it probably immediately was, was like, like the coolest thing I've seen, ever seen? Yeah, exactly, hundred yeah. percent. And and you got to consider that too. I mean, like,
5: and you know, maybe it, let, let's take slow motion out of it for a second. It's kind of what I was alluding to when we were talking about now and then was just the you have to be careful with needle drops. because they're very cool, mm-hmm. but they're mm-hmm. they're so. Uh, overused and mm-hmm. and they can sometimes be jarring to just cut to a scene and all of a sudden there's a very popular song playing yeah, yeah. um but you know yeah. it, it often is very cool it
6: does also feel like how you view it now as opposed mm-hmm. to then because mm-hmm. with the way that television is now trying to be much more cinematic there's needle drops left and right on TV like we it's so just a part of television now mm-hmm. that I feel like it makes it less special in totally. movies. Totally, and therefore, when you see it in movies like this, you're kind of like, oh, okay, like we yeah. get it, but it's like people weren't doing that. We anymore.
5: have Zack Snyder to thank for ruining a lot of that yeah. stuff,
0: and he's totally just aping the Wes Anderson style yeah. of needle drop because mm-hmm. Tarantino has needle drops too. You know, you could argue that Reservoir Dogs kind of did the profile tracking shot, slow motion to a cool song. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's all, you know, every, it just kind of depends on how it's used. It depends on the song too, you know, like I I definitely, when this movie came out, I hadn't heard this kink song before, Mm -hmm. you know, I'd heard their big radio hits, but I'd never heard either of these three songs. Yeah. Um, So So there's also a difference,
5: there's also a difference to this, to the needle drop being a a filmmaker saying, check out this awesome song over this awesome shot versus like something like in Reservoir Dogs where... He's dancing. to The the needle drop becomes a part of this scene. Yeah. And, yeah. It, mm-hmm. and it adds an interesting element to the world rather mm-hmm. than just like a music video. Right. You know? Yeah.
6: Well, I, I think, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. That'd be a good Patreon, like your favorite needle drops. I agree. Because I feel like Tarantino is the master of Like Django and Chang, one of I feel like is, sure, yeah. I don't know, to me, that's the movie. When I think of Needle Drop, I think of that movie. And
0: this is the definition of like owning a Needle Drop. Like if any, I've seen these kink songs used in other stuff and every time I'm like, you can't, it's mm-hmm. Darjeelings. You know, mm-hmm. I remember like Last Man on Earth used the television show, mm-hmm. used uh, Strangers and I was just like, mm-mm. Yeah. That's a Darjeeling song, they own it now. it's If mm-hmm. it's used well enough, you own it. Tarantino owns almost all of his needle drops, in my opinion, because it's like, you're never going to get me to not think of that movie mm-hmm. when I hear this. Song.
5: Nobody can use tenderness after Clueless. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Do you have a? Do you have any sort of interpretation or theory on the Bill Murray character? Because he's pretty much gone for the rest of the movie. I didn't. I remember growing, like when I first saw this, I was always interpreting it as it was like a representation of their dad. That's kind mm-hmm. of what I thought. I don't think I think that anymore, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah um because I remember
6: that being a thing though that people thought.
0: Yeah, I think if he wanted that to be the case, you you very clearly see Bill Murray's luggage. Yeah, and the father is so defined by his luggage. They make such a big deal about it, and it's not the same luggage. I think I think he could be
5: another version of them, another guy who's like privately going through his own thing. And yep. I think I, I just like leaving it at that. That's of like, kind of the way I feel about yeah. it too. Is mm-hmm.
0: like he he's maybe a future self if they don't watch it. You know, mm-hmm. he's gonna always be running towards something, and he's gonna miss the fucking train. You know, yeah. like there's, that's kind of the way I interpret it. Yeah, too. don't be um, the guy who misses the train. Mm-hmm. You know. But I think if you wanted to argue that he was a representation of like their father, I think you could make the argument because there
6: is like that place when Adrian Brody's like looking back at him on the train mm-hmm. and like looking he lifts with his, his glasses, glasses up. Yeah, he definitely
0: takes note of him. So he gets on the t- Peter gets on the train, and we get to meet uh, his two brothers who are already there: Owen Wilson, who plays Francis, comedic. Genius,
2: comedic genius.
0: He's so funny, and his younger brother Jack, who we already met in Hotel Chevalier, played by Jason Schwartzman. Jason Schwartzman is clearly the youngest of the group.
5: Is uh, Schwartzman doing Coconut Records at this point, or is this?
0: I think so. Actually, he
6: must have been because when was that? This was around the same time, and I was really into that album. Yeah, Yeah. it probably
0: came out in two thousand seven, maybe two thousand eight, but I think two thousand seven. And immediately, you start to get the dynamic where it's like Francis is kind of the control freak. Take it over,
3: please. Let's see. We want meat or fish. I'm going to have the chicken. Jack, you want to try the fish? I bet that's delicious. And Peter, the lamb, chicken, a fish, and a lamb. How does that sound? Now, who wants a soup? Raise your hand. Three soups. Seven. That's it. Could you not order for me, please? What? Order for yourself.
0: He says, why haven't we spoken to each other in a year? I want us to become brothers again, (laughs) find ourselves, go on a spiritual journey. Let's seek the unknown, be completely open, say yes to everything. Wow. <laughs> work on the, work, you have a better Owen Wilson wow. than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny that he's like, we're gonna go on this spiritual journey and say yes to everything. And then is like, I have a very specific itinerary for us that my assistant Brendan has printed and yeah. laminated for yeah. us. <laughs> Hopefully
5: we'll never see it. <laughs>
0: uh, Wes Anderson did write this movie with Jason Schwartzman and Roman Coppola. They decided to all go to India together and use those experiences to write the script. It seems kind of like they each took a character and kind of were in charge of it. And so they don't say specifically, but from my guess, obviously Jason Schwartzman is focusing his attention on Jack. And I would imagine that Roman Coppola is sort of like in charge of the Adrian Brody character. Owen Wilson in this movie is very much like the director of the group. He's telling them all what to do. So I would assume that Wes Anderson is probably focusing his attention on Francis. Do you remember the first time you saw Owen Wilson? My first memory of, of acknowledging him was in Armageddon. Oh, because yeah, he plays kind yeah, of that cowboy yeah. character that gets recruited in the group. And then I remember seeing him again in The Haunting. Yes, and, Haunting. And going, that's the cowboy. Which
5: now he's in The Haunted Mansion. And I was like, this is a very mm. interesting. Is he the one who got decapitated in The Haunting? Yep. The The lion
0: yeah. swings down mm. and takes his head off. Yeah. Never forget that. Yeah. Uh, but for also, the longest times, he was just the cowboy guy to me. What yeah, was
5: Armageddon the,
6: definitely must have been.
5: What was that stupid movie he was in with Jackie Chan? Shang- oh, Shanghai
0: Noon. Shanghai Noon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. His big ones back then were Zoolander, mm-hmm. uh, Meet the Parents. Mm-hmm. Is Meet the Parents good? Does it hold up? I haven't I haven't I rewatched have it. it. I used so to fucking long. love it. I used mm-hmm. to think it was hysterical.
6: He was in the Cable Guy. Yeah,
0: remember he's mm-hmm. the guy who he, he beats beat up, beat up in the bathroom. <laughs> <Wow. It's not laughs> a very hilarious. small role, but he's fine. <laughs> he's a close friend with Ben Stiller. Uh-huh. Bottle um,
6: Rocket was his first movie. Then it was Cable Guy. Bottle then Rocket it was, was Anaconda. first ever movie. Bottle yeah. Rocket was his first movie. I
5: saw Anaconda so many times. I wrote my own Anaconda fan Ooh, I <laughs> <He> love
7: that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Did Our, it have
0: it? Was it just like Anaconda Two? What was the? No, I just I kind of just adapted. Yeah. the- the script into a <laughs> short story. Anaconda Nights. Yeah. Uh, Owen Wilson's character has these bandages all over his face. He's telling them about this motorcycle accident that he had. I really don't remember a thing, but then continues to go into like great detail. Great about the detail, which I think is so funny <laughs> yes. without any jokes. It's just his delivery. I remember when this movie came out, this came out a few months after Owen Wilson had attempted suicide. And so there was a lot of connections that people were making mm-hmm. to this movie because it's revealed... Late in the movie, that he, his character also attempted suicide. It's such a perfect element of the
5: movie for me for so many reasons. I mean, it makes total, you know, growing older and whatnot. It's like, it, it's just so understandable that that would be a moment that would trigger him wanting to bring the brothers together yeah, and to like go, go on a this spiritual trip. journey. And then the choice to wrap his head in bandages for the entire movie, not only is hysterical Mm -hmm. to look at, but adds a spiritual component to it where it's like kind of this turban thing that he's wearing. Mm, It's like the Mm headpiece takes on this spiritual element of transformation Mm -hmm. and spiritual healing through death. Yeah. I I found it so funny and so
0: moving at the same time. Speaking of that, outfit. I once on Halloween almost got fired from my serving job wearing that Owen Wilson outfit. Do you not remember this, this, Justin? Why did you get fired? I didn't get fired. I almost got fired. I got sent home. I was a terrible server back then. Uh I never was a great server, Uh but it's particularly in Chicago at Hackney's, I was the worst server, mostly because I was disinterested and I just forgot to put in food orders all mm-hmm. the time, it was like my thing. I just I would take an order and I would walk away and I would not put it into the computer. And then thirty minutes later, people would be like, "Can you check on our food?" And I'll be like, "Oh shit!" And I would go put it in. That was constantly what I did. I would
5: do it with drinks uh, too. Terrible yeah. server. That's the worst feeling. Uh-huh. And the I was worst. getting in 30 trouble. Thirty minutes. Yeah, no when food. you're like, oh my oh, god. Yeah, that's yeah.
0: so weird. Yeah. It's
6: not in here.
0: Uh, it's the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would have to come up with excuses, and I was getting reamed out by the management constantly. (laughs) Like they were always getting on to me. I think it was like two days before Halloween, they said all the servers come dressed in costume. So my costume was Owen Wilson in the Darjeeling Limited. So I had the suit and I had the bandages all over my face in the exact same way with the the nose and everything. And um, (laughs) this one particular table Kind of snooty couple on a date. They put in like a bottle of wine and I didn't put it into the computer. And they did this thing where they were testing me because they just waited and waited and they waited for like two hours. Oh my. God. And I never brought the bottle of wine. And I noticed they were being mean to me. Like I noticed they were kind of being rude, but they never once said, Where is our wine? And then After like two hours of waiting, I came over to the table like, can I get you anything else? And they were like, yeah, can you get us the manager? I was like, okay. And I brought the manager over and they were like, we ordered a bottle of wine two hours ago and he never brought it. And I was like, fuck, I didn't. But I was also like, why didn't you fucking check in on it? Mm -hmm. My manager took me in the back. I'm dressed as fucking Owen Wilson, the Darjeeling Limited. Choose my ass out in a way that I was like, I'm getting fired. Like you do this all the time. You're a terrible server. Go home go home now. And I didn't know if I was going to be able to come back the next day, but it was the most mortifying thing to be dressed in this bandaged getup and to be chewed out and almost fired at your job. And when
6: Jack ended up quitting that job wasn't the manager like, I can't believe he you're was pissed. getting to quit. He was Because fi- I wanted to you. Fire got me you. a job
0: at a fine dining restaurant called mm-hmm. Feast. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was like, fuck yeah. Because I made no money at Hackney's mm-hmm. too. It was just a place where you just didn't make very yeah. much money. I
5: remember the food being good though. The food was
0: really good. But it's just like, if you're a bartender, you can make money. But servers made shit. Mm. Um, but Feast was fine dining and you made a ton of money. And I was like, finally, I'm going to get to make some money. So yeah, I remember going in and being like, putting in my probably not even two weeks notice just being like i'm quitting tomorrow (laughs) and the manager was like i'm so fucking pissed that you were able to quit before i could he did not say that he literally said those exact words and i was like sorry Hilarious. And thank God you got me that job because if they had called them, I got a good guy for you. He's the best server at Happiness. <laughs> and I remember my first day at Feast, going up to a table with a bottle of champagne and it was the first bottle of champagne I'd ever served. Oh
6: my god.
0: And you know, rather than do the proper thing of carefully taking the cork off, oh my god. I literally stuck my thumbs no! under the cork and blew it across the <laughs> restaurant. <laughs>
6: You're lucky you didn't take somebody's eye out. To
0: the customer's credit, they thought it was hysterical. They were like, woo, we like you. You're yeah. awesome. <laughs> but I just wasn't thinking. That's how bad of a server I was. Yeah. Funnily enough, when I came to LA and I got a serving job here, I was the best server at the restaurant. Yeah. And that just tells you how service, <laughs> service in LA is.
7: Yeah.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Jason Schwartzman's character is a short story writer. When he shows the short stories to his brothers, they always read them as if they are true-to-life things and Jason Schwartzman has to go like all the characters are fictional.
5: I laughed out loud when Adrian Brody's reading the short story and laughs and Jason Schwartzman's like oh what part are you on? He was like oh I was just <laughs> laughing at something unrelated.
7: <laughs>
5: yeah there's a
0: lot of really funny moments in this too like there's a point where uh, Owen Wilson takes out one of his teeth and mm-hmm. then Adrian Brody goes when you do something like that can you like preface it with saying like forgive me for this and yeah. then <laughs> Owen Wilson immediately goes whoa you just spit my eye can you back up a little? <laughs> it's so funny (laughs) Uh, uh, Wes Anderson did write this part for Adrian Brody even though he'd never worked with him before
6: perfect he's so perfectly cast in this movie Mm -hmm. he's such a snackety snack and wow 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 I love him in this movie so much Yeah. yeah
0: he was a huge fan of him from Steven Soderbergh's King of the Hill Mm. which Adrian Brody plays like this kind of rough and tumble teenage character in. And he Mm -hmm. had always loved his performance in that. And so that's what he was thinking of when he wrote the character. We get introduced to the train stewardess, Rita, who is played by Amara Karan. She's great. She's really good. she's so good. There's an immediate sort of attraction between her and Jason Schwartzman. They end up having sex with each other in a train car. The first time I saw the movie, that was a more shocking sex sequence than the Natalie Portman one in the short film because at one point he like licks his hand and like puts it down to like (laughs) lube her up. I remember thinking like, whoa, this is, and she says, uh, don't come in me. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking like, this is kind of like for Wes Anderson. Go pitta pitta. Wes Anderson's kind of growing up a little bit with this movie. Jack, Jason Schwartzman's character is kind of like the lone wolf of the three. He's sort of always on the verge of bailing. And Francis, so in Wilson's character, can feel that. And so he ends up stealing his passport from him and forces Adrian Brody to give him his passport because he doesn't want any of them to leave. Yeah. So then they end up making a stop and they go to a market. And there's a really cool shot at the beginning of this market that starts out on the roof of the building. And it's wide and it sort of pans across like these families doing laundry on the roof. And then it like zooms in on the market as mm-hmm. like their little car thing comes zipping in and then they step out. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they would call it in India, but in Thailand, they call these little cars tuk-tuks. We rode in a couple of tuk-tuks and we took our honeymoon in Thailand and mm-hmm. thrilling but terrifying adventures. Yeah, you were sticks. way
6: more scared. I was like, I, I love
0: the automobiles in this movie.
6: I mm-hmm. think they look oh, yes.
0: cool,
5: yeah. especially, I don't remember what color that cab was, but in the end, there, you see like a red cab and it looks awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So cool.
0: And the shot continues on with this like a voyeuristic long telephoto lens where you're seeing them. Go to these different little things, and Owen Wilson is looking for his power adapter that he needs. And Peter buys a pair of shoes, and Jack buys a pepper spray. Just a cool little oneer. Jack, Jason Schwartzman's character reveals to Owen Wilson's character that Peter has uh, a child, or like his 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 girlfriend's pregnant. Seven months. Seven months pregnant. Mm-hmm. He's keeping it a secret from Owen Wilson. This is a funny moment too, where he uh, Jason Schwartzman refers to him as Rubby. Yeah. And Owen Wilson's like, Rubby? And he's like, yeah, you know, holds his temples because so funny. Adrian Brody's got headaches. Mm-hmm. I feel like you could be called Rubby sometimes because you have headaches. Uh-huh. <laughs> About once a week. I just love the stupid randomness of nicknames. When I was working at a restaurant here in LA, I noticed that all of the bussers were calling me Platanitos. And I had no clue why they were calling mm-hmm. me that.
7: Mm-hmm.
0: And they were like, uh, no, for no reason. <laughs> And eventually I like cornered one of them and I was like, why do y'all call me platanitos? And he said, platanitos means bananas. And he pointed at my shoes and my shoes had gotten so covered in like juices and sugar and stuff that the gunk on the restaurant floor had like curled my shoes upward. <laughs> and he said, it's because your feet look like bananas. <laughs>
7: <laughs> so, yeah, you good.
6: Uh, I get called hermosa. Mimosa? Hermosa.
5: Hermosa.
3: Uh.
6: It means beautiful. Mi-
0: they
3: better than bananas <laughs> I hired a private detective to track down mom She's living in a convent in the foothills of the Himalayas We'll be there in six days How is that possible? I guess she became a nun apparently You know what she's like A nun? Apparently Did you talk to her? No I didn't Does she know we're coming? I think so <laughs> How do you know she wants to see us? She probably doesn't, but maybe she does. Why didn't you tell us sooner? Because I'm trying to protect you from all the painful emotions. This is probably going to stir up. Well, aren't you kind of doing that right now? Yeah, I'm scared too.
0: In the commentary, they would talk about how they would get stuck on certain moments where they wouldn't really know what to do or what to say. And then Jason Schwartzman would say, well this is a bad idea, but in TV, this is what they would say. And it was usually like making the subtext text. Mm-hmm. And every time he would say it, Wes Anderson and Roman Coppola would be like, we kind of like it. <laughs> and he'd be like, okay. They were like, we ended up loving all of your quote unquote bad ideas. <laughs> I don't like that line where
5: he was like, I don't know, probably from our upbringing. Yeah, he was like, come <laughs> on, ditch that line. They, you, don't you know, they. It.
0: if I'm into the movie, you can be on the nose with things, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you're irritating me in other ways, then I'll get irritated by the on-the-nose stuff. But Wes Anderson's really good at writing this kind of Wes Anderson-y dialogue in a way that sometimes, you know, M. Night Shyamalan has his Shyamalan dialogue that sounds mm-hmm. shitty coming out of some people's mouths, but good coming out of others. Yeah. And again... These are three actors that just know the Wes Anderson style. What? Whatever
5: made you think that any line would sound good out of Mark Wahlberg's mouth? <laughs> That's
0: true. That's where he started. That was your first apart. mistake. <laughs> um, they're getting more and more irritated with each other, and conflicts kind of come to a head when Peter is shaving, and uh, Francis notices that it's their dad's shaver, and Francis says. I don't think dad would have liked that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of connection to to material things that these characters have. Mm-hmm. Their dad died a year ago, so it's been a year since they've seen each other. And yeah. it becomes revealed that Peter has taken a lot of their dad's stuff Mm -hmm. and is wearing his sunglasses his belt his keys shaver shaver Mm -hmm. and francis doesn't
5: like this but in a feels like in a kind of competitive
7: way exactly
0: they're competing over Mm -hmm. the material things Mm -hmm. of they they kind of like base their worth on what they inherited from this Mm -hmm. person
3: is that dad's razor yeah can i say something what If you don't have permission to take his property that belongs to all of us and use it for yourself as if it's yours, Jack agrees with that, right Jack? Plus Dad would have hated it. Why? That's my opinion. I know him well. That's a terrible thing to say. Well, I don't mean it to be, I just don't want you to get the feeling that you're better friends with him than we are or something weird like that. And also you can't leave your wife just because she's pregnant. Jack agrees with that too, right Jack? Stop including me. I was his favorite. He told me that have blood all over him laying in the street right before he died. How is that supposed to make us feel? Francis? Yeah? Here's your bell.
7: stop!
4: You don't love me. Yes, I do. I love you too, but I'm gonna mace you in the
7: face.
0: Stop! They end up getting kicked off because the mace travels through the the train car, and the and the chief steward kicks him off. Uh, they go camping in the middle of the desert. They get high. This is a funny scene because they're literally holding torches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In the commentary, they just said that they had no lights doing any mm. of this stuff. They were literally just using the the light from the fire mm-hmm. and the torches to light mm. everything. They had no very skeleton mm-hmm. crew. Yeah, They decided to do the feather ritual. You know, they each got their own feather. They supposedly read the directions on how to do it. They all walk off. They do the ritual. They come back and it's revealed that they all did it differently. And that Jason Schwartzman threw his feather into the wind. <laughs> Francis is like, no, you were supposed to make the wish blow on it, then bury it. <laughs> Peter says, oh, I didn't get that. I still have mine. <laughs> but now they have this one feather left over that yeah. becomes significant. And I love the ending of the scene where Jack goes, wouldn't it be great if we heard a train go by mm. in the distance? Not really. It'd probably no. be annoying. <laughs> yeah.
5: <laughs> Such an unexpected thing for the movie. I don't yeah. know. The movie is just full of little surprises mm-hmm. like that, that yeah. break the world For me, in such a good way, because it
0: feels like an improv line. Well, it
6: also just shows like such a true sibling dynamic mm -hmm. to me. Of like, even when all this other stuff is going on, like (laughs) you still are like, you're fucking dumb, or like you know, like like no, I don't see that. But also, and then you you immediately feel kind of bad, and so you're like, but this is a good idea. Yeah,
5: it's also too. It's like, why is Schwartzman saying that? Like, what (laughs) makes him think that that would be like a romantic?
0: (laughs) moment feels like a little brother in this Such moment too a little like, brother. Yeah, shut up um so yeah they're walking they're they're literally lugging all of their fucking thousands of suitcases around <laughs> their so their funny. printer and laminator that <laughs> falls off of the pile and breaks each down each one of the those ground.
5: suitcases is probably 5000 oh, yeah. dollars or more yeah and they
0: end up seeing these kids crossing a river on this mm-hmm. little like rope mm-hmm. boat thing and old wilson says look at these assholes yeah. not doing they're not doing anything wrong <laughs> <laughs> And immediately the rope snaps. There's this kind of like action sequence where they all run and dive into the water. They each grab it. There's three kids, so they each grab one. Uh, Francis and Jack get their kid out, but Adrian Brody gets kind of stuck in his. The the rope ends up snapping again, and they go flying down the, the river. All the sound cuts out. This is a kind of an intense moment, and he comes crawling out of the water bloodied, and he's going, he's dead. He's dead the rocks got him I couldn't oh, get, you know he slipped so I couldn't save mine.
7: Mm-hmm.
5: What do you think the significance obviously there's three boys for three brothers. What mm-hmm. do you think the significance of his character losing one is? Well, he
0: has a child on the way. Mm-hmm. He's about to bring a child into this world that he's conflicted about.
6: And the dad died in his arms. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And so I think emotionally could be a
5: turning point for him to get jazzed about the I think it is. Yeah. Kid, I think
0: yeah. realizing he wanted to save this kid and couldn't is almost like him realizing that he wants the baby.
5: Mm-hmm. Um, do you also, do you also see it as a version of him potential? like they're saving some aspects of themselves too? Like they're, he couldn't, he, I'm gonna he die. still has some more work to do. That's true. Yeah. If you, if
0: you look at these three little kids as potential versions of these three characters, one of them could die. Mm-hmm. And he's already, conf- he's clearly the most emotional about his dad's death. Which is shown in the way that he's, like, holding on to his dad harder than everybody else. Yeah. He's stealing all the things and stuff.
5: Yeah, and he, he's the one who's reacting the worst at the in the flashback scene at the... Mm-hmm.
0: He's the most sort of frantic. And, yeah. yeah.
6: Well, I think they all are because of the way Jason Schwartzman's writing about it in his stories, it's just the mm-hmm. three different ways they're dealing with
7: Grease. Mm-hmm.
0: They're all struggling with it, and it's because they're so detached from each other that they can't... Right, heal and detached from their mom as well. You know, the whole family is is broken. They go back to the village where the children are from. They bring the body. The child's father is played by Irfan Khan, who I recognize from uh, Slumdog Millionaire. Mm -hmm. He's also in Life of Pi. Apparently, he's in a Spider-Man movie, but we do not speak of such things on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Just lost,
6: like. We lost for forty thousand sure. followers.
0: <laughs> Good riddens. Um, so they apparently they did actually find this village when they were on their little uh, journey writing the script. And as they're leaving, they get invited to the funeral. And this is where we get our second Kink song, "Strangers," which I parodied in the cold open of this. Well, This is a beautiful little sequence. I think Wes Anderson always tries his hand at like a sort of sad, emotional moment in his movies. It always works for me, even though it never, I like was never brought to tears in any of this stuff, but I do feel the emotion. I don't know, what do you guys think? Do you you feel like he's good at doing sort of like emotional stuff? I think in this movie, for sure,
6: and mm-hmm. yes, yes, because Royal Tenenbaum's for sure too. Yeah, they all
0: have it. He always has like a little bit of a melancholy third act moment. Yeah, sometimes I think the style so.
5: gets in the way, but I think this works. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think so too. His movies are kind of so funny and twee that I think it. He knows how to like sort of get that in there without tipping it too far over the edge. Like you never cry. You know, I don't think I've ever cried watching a Wes Anderson movie. And maybe he could, you know, maybe that's something he could push a little f- harder. Mm-hmm. But he gets close, and I think overall, especially this sequence of the movie, does have a real weighty vibe to it. You know, you I feel think the melancholy weight. Melancholy is the best word mm-hmm. for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're walking to a tuk-tuk. They get into the tuk-tuk. It's all slow motion. The Kingston is playing, and then it hard cuts to like this match cut to them going to their dad's funeral. It's a flashback, and. You know, this is another one of Jack's short stories. So it's almost like we're seeing another short film. While on their way to their dad's funeral, Adrian Brody decides he wants to take a detour to go get his dad's car because in his mind, he's like, we can't go to the funeral without dad's car, which again kind of connects to their materialism. Yeah,
5: which is so silly. Obsession. Yeah.
0: I like this sequence because it's like really high energy. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's still sad. You know, it's funny. It's jarring because you're suddenly not in, you're in New York and you're in a flashback, but like the-
5: Yeah, it's cool to see them- Different look. Looking different. different. Mm -hmm.
0: There's a funny moment where like a tow truck pulls up and almost crashes into him. And the tow truck driver gets out and he's like, what are you guys up to? And they all sort of stand up to him like, get back in your car. Are you guys serious? Fuck yeah!
5: (laughs) In that moment, it's like there's no world in which those guys, like separately or together, could ever win a fight. But you believe in that moment (laughs) that they will. The craziness in them. Yeah, yeah, they would rip him to shreds.
0: (laughs) They talked about in the commentary that there was a deleted fight scene towards the end of the movie. They run into a group of. cricket players like australian cricket players at the airport and the cricket players are sort of drunk and there's three of them and they sort of are mirroring the way the guys were acting at the beginning of the movie but now at this point in their journey they're irritated by that kind of behavior mm. and they get into this big knockdown drag out brawl with these cricket players that ended up getting cut i don't even think they shot it they cut it from the script Bummer. that would have been fun to yeah it would have yeah. been kind of fun to see the uh, mechanic in this is director barbe schroeder Who uh, was the director of Single White Female, Barfly, and my favorite, Desperate Measures, with Michael Keaton and Andy Garcia. Nice little cameo. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we come back to the funeral. They watch the sort of cremation burning of this child. It's pretty emotional. To me, it reminds me of... uh, darth vader's funeral remember mm. that and they set mm. him on fire and that used to make me fucking ball it's beautiful i think mm. the scene is so beautiful yeah it's really emotional too afterwards because they 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 do the sort of fire ceremony and then they all kind of bathe in the river i guess to sort of wash it off and the father has this moment where he faints like out of grief mm-hmm. and they have to pick him mm-hmm. back up and it's they said that they in their um when they're writing the script they actually did get to witness a that kind of a funeral. Mm-hmm. And so then they go to the airport before they get on the plane. They're all in the bathroom sort of cleaning up and Owen Wilson asks Jack to give him the scissors that he's using to trim his mustache and he cuts off all his bandages. And this is a pretty great scene. I think yeah. this is an
5: emotional moment.
6: This mm-hmm. feels very reminiscent of the Royal Tenenbaum scene with Luke Wilson.
0: Before he kills himself.
6: <laughs> when <laughs> he's he like commits... shaving and stuff yeah. like in the mirror though, it reminded me a lot of mm-hmm. that scene. And is this also when, Adrian Brody, I guess after that phone call, was like, it's a boy. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. Owen Wilson gives him the belt back again. And he's yeah. like, it's from me and Jack. And Jack's like, yeah, yeah. it is.
0: <laughs> and he reveals too that he bought a little sweater for his for his son at the market. And he was like, I bought yeah. it to be both. Uh, it, I felt like it was unisex or whatever, but it looks better as a boy. But yeah. He cuts off all his bandages and we get to sort of see the all the wounds on his face. And he still looks kind of fucked up. And he goes guess I still have some healing to do. Metaphor? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. He does. Thanks look for pointing that out. <laughs> yeah. But it's sweet because Jack says, You're getting there. And then Peter says, It'll definitely add character
5: anyway. And then scarred tissue by red hot chili pepper. tissue <laughs> that yeah. a
0: fish you yeah. saw? <laughs> they're about to get on the plane mm-hmm. and then suddenly decide, You know what? We haven't completed our journey.
5: I love that it happens in silence. Like, it seems not hear a word yeah. they're saying. And that
6: it's Adrian. It seems as if it's Adrian Brody spearheading
5: mm-hmm. it. Yeah. He rips up the
0: ticket. Yeah, it's funny. There's a behind the scenes where you can watch this the scene with the actual onset audio. They're just going. <laughs> you can like watch them <laughs> doing the take, just making those weird noises. Fine. And one thing that make this scene makes me think about is on their way back, they're walking, and it's not a slow motion, but it is like a profile tracking shot. And Jason Schwartzman's character never wears shoes in this movie; he's always barefoot. Mm-hmm. They're all in suits, barefoot. Makes me think of the Abbey Road cover, Beatles Abbey Road. Which they all kind of look like that, too. And Paul McCartney is classically wearing no shoes in the Abbey Road cover. And it Mm. made me think that's probably where the inception of the slow motion tracking shot as people are walking in Wes Anderson movies. I mean, that could be where it all began. It's probably just him looking at the Abbey Road cover and like imagining, you know, what that would look like. Live. Or yeah, exactly. Video. Like, yeah. It feels like it must be sort of an influence. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they end up going to see their mom. There's a cool shot where there are three of them are driving a motorcycle, but they're like kind of piled on. They're mm-hmm. so cute. It's kind of Dumb and Dumber style, to be honest. And they're actually driving it. You know, there's no, you can fully see that Adrian Brody is the one driving this motorcycle. And then as they pass by, you see another little tuk-tuk come behind them that has all their luggage still, which is a really <laughs> funny shot. So yeah, they get to um, the, the convent where their mom is and we get to see angelica houston
6: well and she comes out and is like what are you doing here you shouldn't have come and but then, then immediately like embraces but, but them she tell but she tells them she was like there is a man-eating tiger like yeah we she have says, to get those horses put away
0: quick she says it ate one of the sister's brother and they all laugh because <laughs> they think that she's making a joke and she's like no i'm serious <laughs> this whole sequence sort of feels like black narcissist or something with like the bell tower and the blue hour background it's really beautiful well I love it so
6: much because I feel like this is where you see that Owen Wilson is just their mom because she is doing she's like okay so what mm-hmm. do we want to have for breakfast tomorrow you probably want to have the porridge and you want to have the toast raise you your want hand here? if you yeah. want eggs
0: yeah yeah. and so they confront her Adrian Brody tells her that she's going to he's going to have a child and they, he asks her why weren't you at dad's funeral
3: I want to tell you about my son what son? the one I'm going to have next month Well, you should be with Alice. You should have been at dad's funeral. So that's why you came here. We came here because we miss you. I miss you too. But why didn't you come to dad's funeral? Because I didn't want to. uh, why are we talking this way? What's wrong with us? We should be celebrating. What are you doing here? I live here. These people need me. What about us?
0: And she's very cold, you know? She's like kind of not interested in, in sugarcoating anything. She's like, I just didn't want to.
6: One of my favorite lines in <laughs> happens in the scene right before. It's when Angelica Houston's like putting them all to bed. And she's like, what fire is coming out of that hideous cup? And oh, he's yeah. like, my wife made that. She's like, oh, I love it. Can you send me some?" <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: so funny to me. They're sort of expecting to have this moment where she's going to apologize or mother them in some way and it's kind of aggressive and then right before they're sort of about to be like oh, well I guess this isn't going to work out she says maybe we can express ourselves better without words and they do this thing where they just sit and stare at each this other this is
6: the most emotional scene to me I agree
0: I think this is the most emotional scene And the great Rolling Stones song comes on Girl,
6: you've got your
4: diamond and you've got your pretty bones drives your You let everybody know. But don't play with me, cause you're playing with fire.
6: She is so good in mm-hmm. this scene. Like when it's just a close-up of her oh, face. Oh, because she, she looks amazing so eyes. Beautiful, yeah. too. When it's like the close-up of her face and she's just welling up with tears, you're just like, oh God, you feel everything.
0: Yeah, and as they're staring at each other, you get this what you would say is the dollhouse sequence of this movie where you go into their train of thought is what they refer to it as. And so it's what all these characters are sort of thinking about this moment. And it's this kind of dream train car that you're passing through and you're seeing all the characters from the film. You see like the two little boys that they saved. You see Brendan, but he's in a airplane, but it's in the cart, you know? So it's this sort of magical realism. You see Natalie Portman. She's like, Laying in the hotel bed that we saw in Hotel Chevalier. And yeah, you see Bill Murray in the train car too, which leads me to believe that Peter is still thinking about that, man. If you think about that opening scene with Adrian Brody running with Bill Murray, Adrian Brody gets on the train, but Bill Murray misses it. And maybe Adrian Brody could have helped him, you know? And so there is a little bit of like, he couldn't save his dad. He couldn't save the How boy you
7: have, what
5: is he going to ca- push Bill Murray from behind He could have grabbed his
0: hand, you know what I mean? like they were all running together Bill, he could have he was way no, too you don't behind. think there's anything there No,
5: there's no way he could do that. Bill Murray was already so far behind and so gave far up behind. he stopped yeah. running
0: you don't think that thematically kind of connects with the character he could he's thinking about I could have helped this man on his journey, but I didn't
5: No, I think it's just like that could be that could be me
0: I disagree. I think he could have helped him. He could have grabbed in a movie, you could have grabbed the hands and pulled them. Take off. my. Yeah. Take my Maybe hand. if he had let go of some of that luggage, yeah. he could have taken his hand.
5: Bill Murray needed to let go of some of his luggage. Yeah. Maybe that's
0: what he's thinking. He missed the train because his, he he was holding on to that mm. luggage. Yeah. You got to let go of your baggage, your literal baggage. Your emotional baggage. Um, that Labyrinth had that theme too. True. You know? It's true. And that's kind of what this podcast is all about in a lot of ways too. Mm-hmm. We're sort of like the Darjeeling limit, But we're podcast. telling people to hold on to their
6: baggage. Hold on to your
0: plastic. <laughs> well, um, buy it on Amazon. We're saying think about it. We're saying consider whether you want to or not. Um, That's
5: why I support video rental stores, because you don't have to buy it. You're supporting a small business. You're getting a curated selection from real nerds who love movies.
0: Mm-hmm. Nerds. Uh, and also you see the, 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 the tiger at the, at the end of the train car, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a cool little puppet. In the commentary, they said this was, uh, they were struggling with how to write this scene with them confronting the mom. And I want to say it was Roman Coppola who said, well, you know, sometimes acting exercises, you can kind of find this stuff by just like doing this exercise where you just stare at each other and you communicate the scene with your eyes. So if we don't know exactly what to write dialogue wise, let's see if something will come out of us staring at each other and trying to do the scene silent. And so they did it. Wes Anderson, Jason Schwartzman, and Roman Coppola, they did it. And they came out of it going, we should just do that in the movie. We should have the characters stare at each other. That's how they found it. Good. And yeah, this is kind of a significant turning point. They kind of all come out of this exercise feeling like they understand. They wake up the next morning and the mom is gone. But they decide before they leave, let's do the feather ceremony with the one feather that they have. And they do it right. They do it together. They communicate the rules properly and you get this kind of funny one shot where you get to see them all. Yeah, they all do sort of a weird movement with a noise Mm -hmm. and it goes one by one. They all blow on the feather and rather than bury it on the ground, they like bury it under a stack of rocks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Looks cool. And uh, they head back. As they're heading back, Jack reads them the last page of his newest short story, Hotel Chevalier.
4: Whatever happens in the end, she said, I don't want to lose you as my friend. He looked into her eyes. I promise I will never be your friend.
3: No matter what, ever. Her voice cracked. If we fuck, I'm gonna feel like shit tomorrow. That's okay with me, he said. He lifted her shirt over her head. I love you, she said. I never
6: hurt you on purpose. He nodded. I don't care. He would not be going to Italy.
3: That sound okay? Yeah. It's hard for me to judge the ending without knowing the rest of it. I like how mean you are. The characters are all
0: Thanks. And um, they make it to the train station. The train is taking off, and we get a repeat of the opening scene where they have to run towards it, and it goes into slow motion, and another kink song kicks in. This one's Power Man. And uh, it's exciting, and they all realize one of the characters even says, like, we got to let go of the bags. (laughs) Yes, bags
3: aren't going to make it.
0: As the slow motion is happening, they all toss the bags away, their father's luggage. So good. Yeah, people critique this as being too on the nose. They're like, "We get it, Wes Anderson. It's their emotional baggage that they're letting go of." But it's also just a
6: fucking cool visual. Yeah, for one,
7: (laughs) that looks fine. Yeah. Yeah,
0: every metaphor is obvious if you know what it is, or if you're looking for it. You know, it's like you could say that about any metaphor. Wes Anderson actually does deny it. In the commentary, he brings that up and he says, to to us, it was always, it wasn't about their emotional baggage. It was literally about them getting rid of the luggage. And to me, that kind of ties into the materialism theme. Like in some way, they're sort of realizing that it's not about what they inherit from their father. It's not about the material things that they have. It's about each other.
5: Yeah. you don't take any of that stuff with you to the afterlife. Mm -mm. You leave it behind.
0: But I still like the way it looks. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I still like things.
0: <laughs> and even in that t- interpretation, it's still not that different than emotional baggage. So I still think it works yeah, fine, too. it works. Um, and yeah, they get back on the train. There's a one little coda, basically, where Francis pulls out the two passports that he took from him, and he tries to give them back. And they say, you know what? You hold on to it. Sweet. It is sweet. Yeah. And it kind of like repeats what they did before. He says, like, let's go have a drink and a smoke. And they, you know, they're going to maybe go on another little journey. with each mm-hmm. and. and
5: there's another stewardess who gives them sweet lime. Yes. And she gives Adrian Brody a look.
0: Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. Adrian Brody better not. I, I do think that the movie, while this is a happy ending, I don't think it's necessarily saying that these guys are fixed you know like they're still capable of being assholes and narcissists and you do the work it works for
5: a couple months and then you go back to your old habits and they
0: had a you know they had a significant journey Yeah, doesn't mean that they're completely different people by the end and the the final song I forget the name of it uh, oh Mm -hmm. Oh, Champs-Élysées Champs-Élysées again it's another like kind of Paris themed Mm -hmm. song which I think is connected to Jack. Jack has the last shot in the movie. He's the one who sort of throws the cigarette out and the camera pans away. So to me, that's another way in which this whole story is almost being told through Jack's point of view. You know, This is a Jack short story or long story. Mm -hmm. um, And he would soundtrack it with this song. And that's the end of the film. Good one too. It's a good one. Well, let's take one last break and we'll be right back to final thoughts on the Darjeeling Limited.
4: Oh, Cinema Possessed.
0: <laughs> oh, Cinema Possessed. <laughs> and we are back. <sighs> We're talking final thoughts on Wes Anderson's 2007 film, The Darjeeling Limited. Corey?
6: I love this movie. I, it makes me really want to go back and watch all of me Wes too. Anderson's other movies. It's kind
0: of put me back in the Wes Anderson mood. And you know what? Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, I'm going to go see Asteroid City and I can't wait. It's Tomorrow?
6: gas comes out oh um, yeah i know i got my my stomach just dropped i was like what um we're gonna go see boogeyman this weekend and we could have see an asteroid city
5: did you see oh you're gonna um, see we're gonna, gonna we're see boogeyman see- this weekend what yeah. is there any hype
0: about it
6: christmasina i love him mm. and he's the main guy Corey's
0: hyping it basically
6: hey i gotta support my i'm tired of that name teach, i feel like there's or- like
0: Boogeyman. I'm so confused by the whole thing about it Because the posters There's literally just a black poster With the word the boogeyman on it There's no actor's face There's no monster's face huh. I'm like yeah. wh- h- How do you expect anybody to go see this movie?
4: Would the
5: one with the hand, with the teens in the hand Did you see yeah. that? I really yeah. want to see that, that. Looks like it Talk to me
0: Spooky I
6: yeah. think it looks really good It yeah. was like the, all the rage at South by I'm excited for it mm-hmm. uh, Or was it Sundance? South by It was South by um, Oh, could yes. have
0: been Sundance
6: I actually think it was Sundance for some reason It doesn't matter. Um,
0: Asteroid City.
6: Asteroid City. Yes, I'm excited to see that. I really want to go back and watch all of his other movies because I wonder if this is my favorite Wes Anderson after watching this one. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't have thought that until this rewatch. But, oh, my gosh, every, every single moment worked for me. There wasn't a moment that didn't work for me. It's so funny. It's so sweet. It's so poignant, melancholy. All of the words we've used, I absolutely love it. And um, it reminded me that Jason Storston was my number one crush, crush for a reason.
0: He's the lead of Asteroid City.
6: I uh, can't wait. Um. Yeah. I. I would just, you know, I say this all the time, but I would really love and honored, be honored to be in a Wes Anderson
0: movie. So. Um, you listening, Wes? <laughs> Wes? We know you're listening.
6: Um. Yeah. This movie rules. Justin.
0: Final thoughts.
5: You ever pull down your Schwartzman and inspect your asteroid city?
0: Damn, you <laughs> wow. know I do. <laughs> wow. You know I do.
5: Oh man, yeah. L- this movie is a sweet And line. I say,
0: oh God, I have Rush more of them. Oh
5: my God. <laughs> <laughs>
0: wow.
5: Royal tenon Bombs, I don't know.
0: Or Royal Pain in my tenon Bum. Yeah, oh boy. <laughs> We gotta go. Oh, my, oh my God. God. Oh, I meant to ask, have you ever had sweet lime? No. What is sweet lime? I just Googled it. It is um, Mosambi juice. Mosambi is, um, I think, just a specific type of lime. It's often flavored with sulfurous black salt, earthy cumin powder, tangy chopped masala. <laughs> we, every episode, we always realized there was some sort of food or drink-related thing that we should have yeah, incorporated. sweet lime. Should have given Let's
4: us Be more salt. on it, guys. Now no on. We, think want, about we need food and yeah, drink. Well, let's have some
5: fun. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. This movie's a sweet, sweet lime. I love it. It was my entry way into Wes Anderson. I don't think I've ever felt any way about his movie as I did about uh, this one. Mm-hmm. I was looking for problems. I was looking for a reason to say this movie. You're coming in with arms crossed. Doesn't hold up, and it it from the opening frame, it just n- melted, melted mm-hmm. me. I couldn't believe how many lines in the movie I had kind of memorized, and uh, I was like, wow, I really have seen this so many times, and uh, still good. And it's magic. It leaves me with a magical feeling like Labyrinth. I remember I, I had a dream about it the night after I watched it. It just like kind of sunk into my consciousness. The characters got under my skin. And, it's
0: probably the world, like the vividness yeah. and the mm-hmm. colors. It's and- very
5: dream, dreamy. Mm -hmm. I love it it's I think it's a perfect blend of realism and surrealism and only a way that Wes Anderson can do and I wish he did I wish he did more of that I wish he was diving a little bit deeper into themes and topics like this you know but yeah I respect him I think uh, like you I'm very interested in going back seeing how I feel about his other work
0: well I agree I think this is a fantastic film. I have said many times in the past that this was my favorite Wes Anderson movie. I don't see myself changing that now. I think it might be my favorite Wes Anderson movie. Uh, I love it. I love its sort of rough and tumble nature. I love its themes. I love its characters. I love its heart. Uh, I love you, Wes. I think you're a good guy. I think you're a good filmmaker. And um, I'm excited to see how you continue on and evolve. And as far as this DVD goes... I'm not going to rush out and do it, but I think I will eventually upgrade to a Blu-ray because, I don't know, I want to look at this as clear as possible. It's
5: only 20 bucks on Amazon right now. The Blu-ray? For the Blu-ray.
0: Wow. Well, maybe I will do it sooner than later. And does, if I do, folks, I'll let you know and I'll put it up on the Patreon.
5: Does uh, Criterion still have the sale or no?
0: At the end of, it ends in, no. no. It's over. It's over. It ends, it ends in yesterday. at the end of May. Dang. And I love the soundtrack of this movie. It's a good soundtrack. Um. Well, now that we've said everything there is to say about the Darjeeling Limited, what do you say we play? The Wes Anderson Quiz! I knew it. Shoot. <laughs> Multiple Shoot. choice. Oh. Call out your name if you know the answer. Question number one. Call it. Ooh, Anton. How are you? <laughs> Which font is Wes Anderson most Justin commonly Ventura. associated with? Justin, correct. <laughs> Wait, what was what was even the Let me read, yeah. Let, it's multiple choice, so let me read up. <laughs> I got excited. I got
7: excited.
0: Which font is uh, Wes Anderson most commonly associated with? A Helvetica. <gasps> Henry?
6: He wanted to answer.
0: A Helvetica. B. Rockwell. C Futura. Or D. Times New Roman. Times New Roman Coppola. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> not Sam Rockwell. Not Helvetica Bottom Carter. <laughs> <laughs> Justin's in the lead. Question number two. To date, who has Wes Anderson collaborated writing with the most? A, Owen Wilson. B, Roman Coppola. C, Jason Schwartzman. Or D, Noah Baumbach.
6: Corey, B, Roman Coppola.
0: Corey gets the point. He's worked with Roman Coppola five times in collaboration with the writing of these scripts. Owen Wilson three times, Jason Schwartzman three times, and Noah Bombuck two. So he's got them all beat by quite it's a, a lot. lot of
5: movies. It mm-hmm. is
0: a lot of movies, damn. Question number three Which of these Wes Anderson films does not feature a BB gun? A. Fantastic Mr. Fox. B. Moonrise Kingdom. C. Rushmore. Or D the Royal Tenenbaums.
5: Justin, Mr. Fox.
0: Correct, Justin has two points, Corey has one. Question number four. Which musician is covered repeatedly on acoustic guitar in the Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou? A, Iggy Pop, B, Cat Stevens, C, Bob Dylan, or D, David Bowie? Justin, David Bowie? That's correct. Justin has three points. Corey has one. I Iggy Pop, so. Mm. He does use Iggy Pop music in The Life Aquatic, but not covered on acoustic guitar. Acoustic guitar. Corey, you're behind. I got it. You need to come We've back. We've only
6: been playing three questions. You don't have to tell me I'm behind. I know.
0: Four questions. Question number five. Wes Anderson earned oh. his first Oscar nomination for which film? A, The Grand Budapest Hotel. B, Fantastic Mr. Fox. C, The Royal Tenenbaums. Or D, Moonrise Kingdom. Justin, Corey, Royal B,
6: Fantastic Mr. Fox.
0: Justin gets it. Royal uh, Tenenbaums. I thought
7: it was Ronald
0: Tenenbaum. <laughs> Justin has four. Corey has one. Question number six. How many? <laughs> Question number six. No. Seven. Seven. Always seven. Always seven. Always seven? <laughs> yeah, it's been seven every time. You gotta keep it odd, so that there's a winner. I did no tie. I, I did six. Yeah, but you always make the thing. last
5: question worth all the points. I know, because
0: <laughs> I try to make it fair. <laughs> question number six: Which of these is the one film Wes Anderson produced that he did not also direct? A. The Bling Ring. B. I Heart Huckabee's. C. Francis Ha. Or D, The Squid and the Whale. That he directed? That he produced but did not direct. It's the one film that he produced that he did not direct. That's the easier way
5: to I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess. Justin Blingring.
0: <laughs> what were the movies again? Blingring, I, I Heart Huckabees, Francis Ha, The Squid Francis and the Whale. Francis
5: Ha. <laughs> Can, uh, okay. So I'm going to guess. <laughs> I'm going to guess... Uh, Squid in the Whale.
0: That's correct. Noah Bombuck's The Squid and the Whale, produced by Wes Anderson. So Justin has five points. Corey has one point. Mm-hmm. And this
5: one's worth all the Final points. Final question.
0: This question is worth six points.
6: <laughs>
0: question number seven. This one is a tough one, folks. Wes Anderson lends his voice. To a singing giraffe, in what animated children's film? A. Madagascar. B. Sing. C. Zootopia. Or D. The Secret Life of Pets. Just in Zootopia. Sing. Corey wins. Whoa. Sing, and he's also in Sing Two as well. Corey wins the Wes Anderson quiz.
6: Why would he do?
0: Probably from the animation world, you know. Probably somebody from the since he did all of Fantastic Mr. Fox and I who, got, dogs. who got
5: more questions right? Justin. Okay, just Justin. Great. We're a team. I am but a the lot.
0: hardest question was worth the most points, and it put Corey right up there.
5: Did you guess or did you actually know?
6: I didn't actually know, but I figured it was one that had that was about singing. I don't know why.
0: But there you did. go. She won by two points too. She got seven points total. You only got five. Sorry. Nice. <laughs>
6: He's just trying to pit us against each other and it'll never work.
0: Yeah, you should be. That's what competition's all about. Jack. makes it interesting. What movie are we watching next week? Well, Justin, I think we're watching.
7: John Singleton.
0: (laughs) We're watching 1991's John Singleton debut film.
4: Boys, boys in the, the
0: hood. No, see, you said boys in, I in the hood, but it's I, actually boys in, the letter in the That's just hood. my
5: accent, though. That's not what I said.
0: You said in, and I'm boys saying it's in. in the
5: <laughs> boys in the boys, boys in, in the, the hood. Boys in the Thank hood.
6: Thank you guys so much for listening. <laughs> oh, before we week. leave,
0: before we leave, I found this feather in the yard. I pointed out to Corey the other day.
6: You picked that up, Jack. Bird feathers are extremely- I cleaned
0: it. I looked up how to clean it. I soaked it in alcohol. I soaked it in a peroxide. <laughs> I bathed it in dish soap. I did everything short of boiling this thing to make sure it's clean. This is, I believe, a crow feather. It was sitting in our yard. Uh,
6: it's giving you the EVG. It felt
0: EV. like it was- A sign. A, a sign.
6: Okay. You want us all to blow on it?
0: And I did look into what crows mean. And yes, they are bringers (laughs) of death. That's for sure. But they also, in some cultures, signify protection and strength. And I thought maybe we could do a little feather ceremony to end the podcast. What do we say? Sure. We'll each do a little movement. We'll Mm. each make a little noise and then we'll all blow on it. Nobody has to touch it but me. We'll all blow on it together. Do you
6: remember when we were on a walk and we saw... A crow, a hawk eat a crow, or crow eat something. Yeah, we saw a hawk eat a crow. Come fly down and snatch up a crow. Yeah, and then it dropped the crow in front of us. Yes. Oh, that was creepy. Okay, here we go. Okay, make. What do we do? We make a wish. Mm, Yes, make a wish.
5: (laughs) 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 Yes. No clue. So wait, what makes this interesting for the audience? Like how they can't even see what we're doing. We could do
0: it quickly and just be done with it. Okay.
7: Did you blow? No, we blow it together. Oh, okay. Sam. Okay,
6: now we all are blowing.
0: And that, my friends, is the show. Follow us on social media at Cinema Possessed Pod, where we announce next week's episode ahead of time. And if you want to get in touch with us, email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com. And if you want to get even more possessed, head on over to patreon.com slash cinemapossessedpod and unlock the Cinema Possessed bonus materials, our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about more than just what's in our collection. Plus, you'll gain exclusive access to our Patreon-only giveaways and community message boards. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. And as always, keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed.
4: Later. Bye. See ya.